This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in our 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. The switch to electric vehicles might be in trouble. Will infrastructure problems like poor public charging experiences doom the growth of EVs? We'll have the details on a new J.D. Power consumer study that looks into that big question. I'm sure Chris Teague has some thoughts on that. Uh, with his experiences with the infrastructure in Maine. Two luxury brands have introduced fascinating new concept vehicles during Monterey Car Week. We'll give you the, the details and our reaction to those coming up. Interesting stuff from, from manufacturers you wouldn't necessarily expect. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash autoinsurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. We love that hyphen, don't we, Chris? Always. Hi, I'm Jack Nerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, what you might want to buy for your family, the right car for your family. Chris, big question. Are your pipes back in order this week? <laughs> the final step takes place on Thursday when they come to dig up the yard and replace the uh, main intake line. But on an upside, a really funny story. We have eagles in our backyard in the river uh, just in, uh, on the other side of our yard. Uh, yesterday, an eagle flew over and dropped a, a fish right on the sidewalk as the plumbers were leaving the house. So uh, <laughs> that they've been known to drop fish on cars and on, in people's yards, too. So it's really enter entertaining. But I had to clean that one up. So. Yeah, a little bonus for the plumber. Here's a, here's a fish for you. Thanks for doing the job. <laughs> what vehicle are you going to be telling us about this week? I'm going to be talking about the 2022 Land Rover Defender 90 V8. It's a very upscale off-roader, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about it. It should be cool, and I have not driven that. I got a chance to drive something other than an SUV this week. <laughs> hooray, hooray. I was quite excited by that. In this case, it's the Volvo S90 B6R design. That is a full-size luxury sedan. It also kind of has a sporty edge, especially in the R design form, and we'll tell you how I like that a little later in the show. We have a fascinating special guest for you. Dave Craig is General Motors mapping expert for the company's Super Cruise semi-autonomous driving system. He's an expert on Super Cruise. He's spent a lot of miles behind Super Cruise uh, steering wheels, I guess just kind of touching them but not doing anything else with them. We'll have a lot on self-driving coming up. Before we do anything else, though, we will bring you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world. So stay with us with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad back with you in his latest news time. And I think there's a big question in the latest news this time around because we have a J.D. Power survey, a study about public uh, electric vehicle charging. And that's something that you, Chris, have talked about a lot uh, up in Maine, uh, where you live. Uh, not a great experience. Not necessarily a great experience here in Southern California either, but maybe for different reasons. But what's your overall take on, on public charging right now? I think I agree with a lot of J.D. Power's findings here. You know, they talk about uh, satisfaction varying by region. And, you know, if you look into the study, you notice they don't mention the north, northeast as being part of the, the group of people who are very satisfied with it. But uh, it's really interesting to think about why people would be satisfied or dissatisfied with some things like you mentioned in your area, probably very crowded and hard to find 
a charger, but they all probably work unless they've been vandalized, you know. Uh, but here, there's just no chargers to vandalize or use. So uh, there are two completely different problems. Yeah, I think there are a lot of problems out there, and uh, they vary by region. They vary by a lot of things, too. I mean, in California, where I live, there are a lot of chargers, but many of them don't work, and they're, and they're crowded often. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to use, especially the fast chargers are, are fairly crowded. Uh, that's one of the things they, uh, that J.D. Power found. There are more public charging stations than ever before in operation. That makes uh, sense. But at the same time, uh, satisfaction with level two charging declined. Satisfaction with faster charging just kind of stayed even. It wasn't a great experience for either segment. And this is uh, important because it's one of the big reasons that people reject EVs is they think, well, public charging just isn't going to work for me. And I think you're in that boat, aren't you, Chris? I think it is, but I'm not so much in the boat of, you know, I don't I don't have a big problem with the charging time. I think most people go into it. I think a lot of people probably go into it knowing that. But I think that may be a factor leading to people's dissatisfaction with level two chargers, right? I mean, people are getting very accustomed to these, these DC fast chargers. And, it, you know, you plug into a level two and it's going to take, what, an hour to recover 20, 30% of range, you're going to maybe find that to be a little dis, distasteful or I don't know the right word for it. So Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think one of the big problems here is we're having a build out of uh, chargers, but many of them don't work. And I think part of the problem, uh, you know, this is my guess and I'm pleased to hear your guess on it. I think a lot of it is nobody is looking at these chargers day to day who is responsible for them, right? I mean, they're just kind of sitting there. And if they work, they work. And if they don't, they they don't. But uh, I think a lot, there's now no reporting. In, in a gas station, you're not going to go to a gas station and have a gas pump that doesn't work for days on end. But that certainly could be the case with a public charger, right? Yeah, maybe we'll end up in a situation where uh, it's like New Jersey and Oregon, where you can't pump your own gas, so you can't charge your own EV. Maybe that'll be the, the solution, but who knows? Important things. I mean, stations need to be added in areas where there are gaps, certainly the gaps of the Northeast. And there are also gaps, uh, you know, between major cities uh, making uh, travel difficult. And then I, I found this fascinating, too. One of the things that this study found was there has to be stuff for people to do when they're charging <laughs> or they get really dissatisfied. If you're sitting at a, at a place even for half an hour, I mean, I don't know about you, Chris, or I kind of do know about you and you're in the same boat I am. I, I, I can't give up a half an hour just to sit around. I wish I could, but I really can't. Yeah, it's hard for me to go sit anywhere for a half an hour, an hour, and not be doing something. You can only stare at your phone for so long before I start to feel a little, little uh, itchy. But that might be a good reason why Tesla, you know, ranks pretty decently in the areas where they they were able to be studied. Because not only are they quicker, but the cars have, you know, they have games, they have the internet. There's all sorts of stuff you can be doing inside your car while you're waiting for it to charge. And they've even proposed, you know, uh, restaurants and things around these charging stations. So I don't know what the solution is, but you're correct. I think you know, being able having to sit there for 20 or 30 minutes with twiddling your thumbs is not a, a good a good look yeah very definitely you talked a little bit about uh the differences in in region and how uh, various regions feel about uh, public charging this I, I found pretty interesting is the highest level of satisfaction with public charging came in what they call the west north central region and i'll clear that up for you because that isn't an intuitive region of the country but it's iowa kansas minnesota missouri nebraska north dakota and south dakota yeah go figure right i mean hello uh why is that and i think there are very few electric vehicles there and there's probably a reasonable number of fairly recently instituted public chargers there they're not getting beat up because they're not being used too much and they're probably working 
I mean, you know, that's kind of my estimation of what's going on there. Yeah, if you're that dedicated to own an EV in those states, you're probably going to be pretty satisfied with your choice because you, you really wanted it at that point in time. But uh, I don't know if you've ever been in North Dakota or South Dakota, but you can drive for hours and not see anything or anyone. So uh, it would be a little unnerving to not realize or not know where the next charging station would be uh, in an area like that. But apparently they're doing, they're doing a good job. So. Yeah, well, I think you have to know, right? I mean, if you're going to travel cross country, you pretty much are, have to plan it. Uh, at least in this day and age. I think it's like traveling cross-country in a gasoline car uh, 120 or 130 years ago, where you had to go, okay, where am I going to get gasoline at the next stop? And they were selling gasoline at hardware stores is where you got gasoline. You know, they'd sell kerosene and gasoline and those kind of things, lamp fuel. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's what you had to do, and I think that's what you have to do now. As I think you mentioned, Tesla came out on top for uh, the public charging experience, and that might be their secret sauce going forward is, uh, you know, they just give better satisfaction in the in the charging experience. Yeah, I mean, the single make, single charging interface is not great for the market or for consumers or anything like that. But it's great for Tesla owners because, you know, they get the best experience. Uh, I will say they are going to open or they have already opened up their chargers to exterior or other makes and models. But uh, the, the best experience is still going to be the Tesla to Tesla charging experience there. Yeah. Well, we talked a bit about uh, concept cars that were introduced at Monterey Car Week, one of which was the Acura Precision EV concept, which might have a lot to do with the Acura ZD <laughs> ZDX that's coming uh, you know, soon thereafter. Uh, they didn't really say that, but uh, you probably had a look at this vehicle. I think it's a good-looking vehicle, and it's an EV concept, very uh, kind of leading-edge EV. Uh, what's your take on this vehicle? I think it looks great. I think it looks, uh, you know, futuristic. It's sharp in all the ways that you expect an Acura to be. Uh, I kind of wish we'd seen Acura and Honda on the leading edge of this trend as opposed to now kind of coming in after even, uh, you know, Dodge <laughs> debuted an EV. So uh, so I think they're a little bit slow on the gun. I mean, other than their timing, I think it looks great. Yeah, one of the things, uh, they're doubling down on autonomous driving in this thing. In fact, there's a, a mode, and they call it the spiritual lounge mode where the uh, steering wheel retracts, you kind of just kind of club it up there, you know, maybe they're serving, uh, hopefully not serving cocktails, but, uh, you know, uh, they're showing stuff on the various uh, walls of the, of the vehicle there. I mean, uh, it's, uh, you know, what's your take on that? I think that's, that's maybe pushing the bounds way too far. Well, it is a concept car, right? You know, I mean, how much of that is actually going to make it into production, uh, if at all, if it's the ZDX or whatever it's called, but that looks at a future that we have no real firm idea when it's actually going to show up, right? So like, uh, you can retract the steering wheel and turn around, but you can't go anywhere right now if that car were on sale because, it, you know, the infrastructure and the public policy and all the other things that need to go behind that are not in place. But I think it's really cool. And the Lincoln we're going to talk about in a minute is similar to that. So, Well, let's talk about that Lincoln because it has exactly that same stuff. We're talking about the Lincoln Model L100 concept. I think it's a cool looking vehicle. Uh, very reach out. Again, they're heavy into uh, autonomous drive here. I guess that's the ultimate sanctuary, right? You, you don't have to drive at all. You just go in the car and you're kind of in a spa. Uh, I mean, what's your take on the, uh, the new Lincoln? I mean, I know they're trying to celebrate the, you know, the original Lincoln uh, vehicles and, and that, but the big glass dome and the tech in this car look amazing. Obviously, again, it's a, it's a, uh, a concept car, so we may see very little of this actually make it into production. But as you mentioned, with the steering wheel that folds away in the Acura, the Lincoln has seats that flip over so that the front and rear passengers can face each other while presumably the vehicle is traveling. So uh, really interesting lounge space, as you mentioned. So uh, I would I don't know how I feel about traveling like that. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's going to take a while. I mean, I, we're going to talk about Super Cruise later in the show, and it was a, a leap of faith for me to just take my hands off the wheel and let it steer around a curve. So I'm not certain I'm going to be sitting there playing cards or, you know, clinking glasses with people while the car drives itself. Probably not in my lifetime, but we, we shall see. Interesting stuff. Well, when we come back, we will have some real-world vehicles to road test, including the uh, Land Rover Defender 90 V8. Wow, very, very cool. And I was in the Volvo S90. I guess there's a 90 theme to our road test this week. Also very sporty. So stay with us for that with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And it's road test time here on America on the Road. Very exciting road test uh, time for us because we're... We have a non-SUV among the two vehicles we're testing, but Chris, you were driving a very cool SUV, you know, one of the granddaddies of them, uh, Land Rover Defender. Tell us about it. Yeah, so they brought the Defender back a couple of years ago after, what, almost 20 years off the market, maybe 21 years off the market. I'm not sure exactly. Somebody will correct me, I'm sure. Uh, but this is a two-door Defender 90. They make a four-door 110, and they have a three-row 130 model coming out very soon if it's not out already. Uh, you can get the Land Rover Defender with an inline four or an inline six with a mild hybrid system. The vehicle I tested came with a supercharged 5-liter V8 that made 518 horsepower, 461 pound-feet of torque, and delivers a 0-60 to 60 time of 4.9 seconds, which, as I mentioned to you before we got on the air jack, it is super unnerving but very entertaining to put your foot down on this thing because it feels like you're in a speedboat almost. It just throws itself back and goes. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts on the Defender, the new Defender. Uh, have you driven one, and what do you think? It, how do you think it compares to the old one, and how do you think it compares to other vehicles in the segment? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the Defender used to be essentially the Jeep Wrangler, right? I mean, it was that kind of competitor. It was, you know, in that ballpark. It was the, the rough-and-tumble uh, Land Rover, right? The, the basic across-the-Serengeti kind of, kind of vehicle. And they've taken it upscale because the whole brand has gone upscale and, you know, the, the prices are so much higher. Uh, so oh, while it looks a lot like a Bronco, <laughs> and when I see them running around my, my area, I'm like, oh, somebody just got a new Bronco. Oh, no, that's the Defender. Um, there's not that. Um, I think... It's, it's an interesting take on this because I, I kind of would like it to be that, you know, just that rough, solid, you know, regular guy kind of vehicle. And it's not that anymore. It's uh, a little more suburban, shall we say. Yeah, a few years ago, we were we were shopping for one for a kind of a family fun vehicle, and my wife loved that you could take the top off. So she got in this one, and she said, "How do I how do I take the top off?" Well, no, it has a panoramic sunroof and and moonlighting, but a very nice interior of this vehicle. Uh, in any case, it rides on 22 inch wheels. Those are uh, those come with the V8 package or the V8 trim. This vehicle starts jacket around fifty three thousand dollars. The vehicle I tested topped out at one hundred nine, just shy of one hundred and ten thousand dollars. So uh, that's due to the powertrain mostly, which adds you know like fifteen thousand dollars to to the trim. But uh, whether it's worth it or not, I think you know one hundred fifteen, one hundred ten thousand dollars for a vehicle is quite a bit. So uh, I think if you're looking for bragging rights, the V eight definitely gives you that. Uh, as I mentioned, twenty two inch wheels, a sport exhaust. This thing sounds like a beastly truck when you start it up in the morning, shakes the windows. Uh, the neighbors love it. 11 and a half inches of ground clearance. That gives it a 35 inch water uh, fording or water weighting depth, which is uh, pretty stout. I think it's more than most people that spend the money on this thing are going to actually use. Have you tried uh, it in the river in the backyard? <laughs> it's a little bit deeper than 35 inches back there and it gets deep pretty quick. So, uh, and getting down there would be a challenge. So, <laughs> um, inside, 
full leather package on the seats. It's got an Alcantara wrapped steering wheel, which I love the way it feels, but I have to tell you, I worry about the longevity of Alcantara, which is kind of a suede material on such a high sort of traffic area as the steering wheel. Uh, already started to show some wear. My test car had like 2,500 miles on it. So uh, already starting to show some wear at 2,500 miles. As I mentioned, a panoramic roof, uh, plenty of room in the back seat. You know, I talk about how I'm six feet on every show. I even have people emailing me now asking me how tall I am. But uh, <laughs> plenty of room with the kids in the back seat. There is no cargo space, almost no cargo space in this vehicle uh, with the back seats folded up. So my dog could not ride in the back. So that's something to think about if you buy the 90. Uh, the 110 and the 130 have, they're far more practical. So you can fit stuff and dogs and all sorts of other things back there. Uh, but this one, probably not going to be the best unless you want your dog riding in the back seat, which is where mine demands to be uh, in the front seat. I mean, which is where my demands to be anyway. Uh, the vehicle comes standard with a 10-inch touchscreen. Apple CarPlay, Android Auto are standard. Uh, it's got a nice stereo just as it as it sits. But mine came with the upgraded 11.4-inch touchscreen, wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto, and a 14-speaker Meridian sound system that will blow the doors off of this thing. I think that it's far far louder than anyone ever needs in a vehicle this size, and the subwoofer will rattle your bones. But, uh, Jack, I think this is an excellent vehicle for the people who want to spend the money and want to be seen driving this vehicle, I think if you're looking for a dedicated off-roader and you don't need or care about the Land Rover name or the luxury items that you get here, the Bronco is a great option. The Wrangler is a decent option. Uh, and you have trucks to choose from that are you know, almost as luxurious as, as this is now. And you get a lot of the same off-road capability, maybe not exactly the same level of precision that the Land Rover delivers, but uh, probably good enough for most people. Yeah, an amazing amount of off-road ability, though, with the Defender. And that, that remains, even though it's been so gentrified uh, and it's so expensive, but uh, you know, certainly that capability is still there, which is cool. Yes, well, I was driving a completely different kind of vehicle that actually has a similar starting price, interestingly enough. I'm talking about the Volvo S90 B6, and B6 isn't just a bingo number. It is uh, the operative number uh, that makes this different than other S90s from before. It is their, you know, Volvo's uh, engine and configuration nomenclature. Uh, this particular B6 is an uh, interesting vehicle, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Starts at about uh, $54,000. As tested price with, with the one that was in my driveway was about $65,000 because it had, you know, pretty cool stuff, including the Bowers and Wilkins premium sound system, $3,200 worth of sound system, but uh, blow your doors off, blow other people's doors off. Had the adaptive air suspension, which is also an added price. And, of course, it had to have matte black alloy wheels because, you know, we have to have matte black wheels. That's 2022. That's what we have. What's really interesting is the powertrain. It is both turbocharged and supercharged, but in a different way than it was before when it was the T6. This uses an electric supercharger electric driven supercharger with a this you know multi intercooled inline four cylinder engine just a 2 liter engine uh, produces 295 horsepower quite a bit of torque 310 pound feet of torque so a reasonable amount of torque you're not blown away by either the the torque or the horsepower figures though are you chris no i think the t6 produced 300 horsepower so it dropped four or five there uh, and i worried about the complexity with the t6 so the b6 with the electrical the electric supercharger uh you know <laughs> i'll continue to, to carry those concerns yeah i mean maybe it's a little bit simpler because one is driven by electricity and Maybe that's easier to fix, or maybe that's just more problematic. I don't know. Uh, but you sure had a lot of mechanical stuff going on <laughs> under the hood of the of the T6, so uh, a little less going on here. 
The good news is there's plenty of torque here, so it doesn't feel significantly slower. It doesn't really feel slower at all than the previous S90 with the T6. This is a long vehicle. I think, Chris, you would say this is a really big vehicle. Uh, you know, I grew up with, with vehicles that were well over 200 inches long, but this is 200 inches long, so... I drove a 1976 Cadillac Fleetwood, bro, I'm yeah. in high school, so... <laughs> you know big. All eight... 20 feet of it, I think. So, yeah, yeah, you know, big. Reasonable amount of trunk space. Uh, also, plenty of back, you know, back seat space, if that's important to you. I don't know that we're, you're going to be driving people to the airport <laughs> anytime soon, you know, for a living. Uh, but maybe 4,300 pounds uh, put up against uh, less than 300 horsepower. So it's not super quick, but reasonably quick. 6.4 seconds, 0 to 60. What I'm not talking about is the thing that's maybe most important. This is a really comfortable big sedan uh, that has good ride quality, yet it's fun to drive. It's not not a race car. It's certainly not a Grand Prix car, but it is fun to drive, reasonably quick. Will acquit it well itself well through the the twisties if you take it there. So uh, you can have some fun with this vehicle. And I, I think they've done a good job with this. I like what they have done uh, with the powertrain. I mean, what's your take on that? On the powertrain? Yeah. You know, I'm an XC90 owner from 2021. I'm very well uh, versed in the T6 powertrain and, and how it operates. I think that's an excellent transition i think you know we talked about complexity earlier that the electric the electric supercharger is a good addition doesn't rob any power from the engine to generate its power uh, and helps compensate for tur turbo lag and i think volvo does implement it with their programming in a solid and smooth refined way so you don't feel like there's a lot of things going on as you mentioned earlier it doesn't feel like there are you know some rats running around on a little wheel under your hood trying to figure out which way to go so uh they've done a good job with refinement in all their vehicles right this was an R design, so it had adaptive uh, shocks, which is good. Rear air springs, that helps. Big wheels, <laughs> big wheels and tires, you know, 20-inch wheels. So I guess that's, that's good. One of the things that was a little frustrating is I had hoped that they had improved their infotainment system more than they had, <laughs> right? I mean, you've experienced a lot of Volvo uh, infotainment system on a day-to-day -day basis. I think you have the, the older system in the XC90 that, that you guys own. Uh, this is an Android, a, a more directly Android-based system. I think the previous one had a lot of Android in it too. But it was it didn't strike me as a, a big advance over what they'd had before. Yeah, you know, I think responsiveness has never been Volvo's problem with their infotainment. It's relatively quick. It's the complexity, right? The menus are just, you know, you don't know where to swipe or to drag down. You don't know where to hit. You know, you get used to it over time, like now after having owned the vehicle for a year. But at first, man, it was like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I here, can't so. even find a radio station. You know, how do I get there from here? You know, that kind of thing. It yeah. is nice that it has... The integration of Google, Google Maps, I use Google Maps a lot anyway. Uh, I think many of us do. I, I guess I use Apple Maps too. Google Assistant, I'm not wild about that in terms of voice recognition, but I, it is good in the car. I don't have a, a, voice assistant at, a voice assistant at home. Maybe I, I'm a, a Luddite from that point of view. I just don't want uh, Google to be eavesdropping on what I'm saying here at home. Uh, and who knows? Uh, but uh, I think overall, uh, this is a, a really nice vehicle. At $65,000, it's an, a, a very good and, I, I think, economical alternative to some of the, the German luxuries. Uh, what's your feel on that? 
I agree. The problem for Volvo is that Genesis exists. I think, you know, there's a lot of things going on there and more value too. But uh, Volvo's done well, as I mentioned, with refinement. Their interiors are incredibly comfortable. It's actually very beautiful inside too. All their vehicles, even the seat stitching, the way the seats are shaped and the the shape of things. So uh, if that's your thing, you know, driving excitement, you mentioned it being fun to drive, but these vehicles are, they're still relaxing. They're still, you know, sort of serene environments. Even the R design that's sporty uh is it's still pretty relaxing to drive i would i would guess that would be your take on it i mean it's still pretty comfortable uh so that's that's been their forte and i I still like them for that yeah comfortable quiet i mean it's kind of a shame that people aren't buying more sedans because (laughs) this is a a great vehicle uh that you're not going to see a ton of them on the road and uh i guess more's the pity to that so cool two cool vehicles that we had the land rover defender 90 with the v8 engine blowing people away with over a hundred thousand dollars and the the volvo s90 b6 uh in our design form around sixty five thousand dollars i think a good buy at, at that price so uh very very cool stuff well when we come back we will be uh interviewing david craig dave craig is general motors mapping expert for super cruise he has a critical function for Super Cruise. Well, so we'll be talking with him about Super Cruise, what it's like to have the car drive itself. So stay with us for that, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. This is Jackie Rad with you, and we have a terrific, wonderful guest for you. Dave Craig is Super Cruise mapping specialist with General Motors, talking about Super Cruise. And we've talked about this on the show a lot of times, and... Uh, uh, it's really a fascinating technology. Dave, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, Jack. I guess the reason that prompts this uh, discussion is the fact that you've added a bunch of new miles to the Super, Crew net, uh, Super Cruise network. But first, let our listeners know what Super Cruise is and, and kind of how it works. Absolutely. Super Cruise is the world's first true hands-free driver assist system. So Super Cruise launched in 2017, and we've been driving hands-free for almost five years now. So it's pretty exciting. Basically, the way it works is we utilize a lot of sensors, uh, live view cameras, radars, GPS. We also have uh, a driver attention system to make sure the driver stays engaged, awake, and alert. This is not a system that you can lay back and take a nap. This is a driver assist system, not a driver replacement system. So one of the key technologies that's an enabler are these precision maps, which is what I work on. And these precision maps are made by uh, sending vehicles to go LIDAR scan the roads and produce very accurate maps. And we utilize a company called Usher. We've been very public about this, that Usher is one of our partners. And we utilize Usher to go scan the roads that we're interested in and keep those roads fresh and updated. And that's critical, isn't it? I mean, you have to have that mapping information. Otherwise, this doesn't work. And roads are kind of fluid, aren't they? A little more fluid, I think, than people know about. I live in Southern California where they're always working on the freeways, for example. Uh, You know, talk about the challenges that that involves. Absolutely. That is one of the biggest challenges with maps in general is that the roads are constantly changing especially in the summer right there's there is such a thing as a construction season and it's the summer so as these roads change we are alerted to the change before it occurs because we stay in constant communication with the state dot's so we're aware of the changes before they occur we're aware of what's going to change on the roads 
And then we, we monitor these changes, and when the road is significantly changing, we will turn super crews off for that section of road. And then once the change is complete, we'll send a vehicle out to relight our scan it. We'll process the data and deliver that data in an OTA over the air map update. Right. I have experienced Super Cruise uh, several times now, uh, once in the Hummer EV. I think that was my first experience, right? You always remember your first experience. And, That's right. and uh, you know, that leap of faith when you take your hands off the wheel and you're going around a curve at 70 miles an hour. I think I was on I-94, maybe not too far from where you are right now doing that. And Give our, our listeners and, and viewers who haven't uh, experienced Super Cruise the sense of what it's like to be behind the wheel for this, and, and then we can dive into a little bit more about mapping. Absolutely. I've, I've logged many, many thousand miles behind the wheel of a Super Cruise vehicle. Uh, everybody starts off about the same. When they first get behind the wheel of the Super Cruise and the icon pops up and they hit the button to engage Super Cruise mode, they'll take their hands off the wheel and they take them off the wheel about two inches. So their hands are right next to the wheel. And, and it's funny to watch people's expression because, you know, they're not comfortable having their hands off the steering wheel. And after about five minutes, now their hands are about, you know, six to eight inches off the steering wheel. And after about 10 minutes, they're a little further. And by the time you get to 15 or 20 minutes, now their hands are in their lap. They're comfortable. They're looking over, talking to you as the passenger. You know, they're very they're very comfortable with the experience. And it happens very quickly. Yeah, it is a fascinating kind of thing. And I, I always say it's a, a bit of a leap of faith when you do it. But once you develop faith in the system, then the, the system works very, very well. Certainly mapping is part of this. How does it all work? I mean, I, I, we've only got 14 minutes for this segment, but uh, you know, give us kind of the, the high hard ones on that. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said at the beginning, we utilize a lot of different sensor technology, right? We have live view cameras, we have radars, we have these high definition maps, we have precision GPS, all of these come together in something called sensor fusion so that we're not just utilizing one sensor to tell the car what's going on, we're utilizing a host of sensors that all have to agree with what the conditions are showing and that the car is safe to be in a, a self-driving mode. So it's matching up GPS with the mapping and putting it there, and then it's probably reading road markers like lane markings to make sure that it's centering in the lanes, doing all those kind of things at once, right? right. They all have to agree. You know, you got the cameras watching the road, watching the lanes. You have the map telling you exactly where the lane should be. You have the GPS telling you where the car is. All of those have to agree. You have the radars watching for any other moving targets that may be on the road. So all these are playing together. And playing together uh, the right way, of course. Uh, there are some parameters for highways that qualify for super cruise, and, and many don't, right? Many roadways don't. G give us some idea of what those parameters are. Yeah, and that's part of the fun announcement that I have today. So to date, super cruise has worked on high-speed divided, I really want to emphasize the word divided, highways. These are typically things that look like interstates, you know, the roads that connect the major large cities across the U.S. and Canada. There's 200,000 uh, 200, miles of those in the map today. The expansion is going to open up super cruise to non-divided highways. These are the roads that connect the smaller cities and townships all across the United States and Canada. Literally, we are opening up Super Cruise availability to customers, potential customers, that may not have had a road within 100 to 150 miles of their home. 
So are we talking about things like uh, two-lane state highways and, and those kinds of things? That's exactly what we're talking about. These are the, these are the state and federal two-lane highways. You know, there are some very famous examples of these roads. There's the Route 66 Mother Road that connects Chicago to L.A. There's the Pacific Coast Highway, California Highway 1, right? The, possibly the most scenic road. Right. In- and both dear to my heart. I grew up about a, a mile from Route 66 in Chicago, and uh, now I live on the West Coast and drive on Highway 1 and Pacific Coast Highway. It's it's literally a few blocks from uh, where we're uh, recording this right now. So it's exciting to, to hear that kind of thing. Absolutely. And, you know, we even have more. The Trans-Canada Highway that connects the eastern part of Canada to the western part of Canada. So lots of these state and federal two-lane highways, non-divided highways, are what's in the expansion. And so now, after the expansion, Super Cruise will be able to work on over 400,000 miles of roads. That's that's really incredible. And it shows a lot of confidence, I think, in, in Super Cruise as a system, correct? Because on a divided highway, you know, one of the things you don't have, or it's much more unlikely that you're going to have a vehicle coming right at you, right? But in right. A, on a two-lane road, you absolutely could, couldn't you? Absolutely. And, you know, um, that is a possibility. Now, we are very confident in our system that our system has the ability to center and stay in its lane and drive appropriate for its lane. But remember, this is not a driver replacement system. This is a driver assisted system. So the driver still has to stay alert, still has to stay engaged, still has to keep monitoring the highway. Do you classify it essentially as a a class three SAE class three kind of uh, system where the the driver needs to take over uh, at at that moment when uh, that becomes necessary? Yeah, the, the SAE levels of classification are really kind of rigid and were written a long time ago, so they don't really correlate just perfectly to, to what the industry is doing today. We, we try very hard not to categorize Super Cruise to see where it fits. Uh, honestly, if you had to talk about it, you know, it would be a really high-functioning level two, but, but we don't really categorize it that way. We, we, uh, we tell people what Super Cruise is, what it does, and let them draw their own opinion on uh, how they want to classify it. We call it a driver assist system, not really an autonomous vehicle. Right, right. I think uh, there is some functionality for lane change, automatic lane change. Is there not? Can you describe that to us? Yeah, absolutely. So current, the current generation of Super Cruise vehicles, when, they, uh, when they're on a divided controlled access freeway, they'll actually have the ability to do a customer initiated lane change where you basically hit the turn signal and provided there's no traffic in the neighboring lane that you want to change into, Super Cruise will negotiate that lane change automatically without your hands being on the wheel. And Super Cruise determines that, right? I mean, Super Cruise determines if there's a vehicle coming up from, right. say, behind to the left that could be a problem, right. that kind of thing, correct? The additional thing that Super Cruise will do is if you're on a two, you know, a divided highway and uh, two lanes go in each direction, and you come up behind a slower vehicle, Super Cruise will determine if there's any cars in the passing lane. If not, it'll turn on the turn signal, move over into the passing lane, pass the slower vehicle, turn on the turn signal, move back into the slower lane after it's passed the vehicle. So it does all that automatically without the driver ever touching the turn signal or the steering wheel. Ah, Yeah, awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. I imagine you have been with uh, the Super Cruise Project for a while. Yes. What are some of the most challenge, biggest challenges you've had to face as it was being developed and then going forward? So 
for me, my biggest challenge is always about keeping the maps fresh and updated. And that's what I talked about a minute ago that, you know, we work with the DOTs and we work with Usher and we get the cars out to to basically rescan and resurvey the roads the moment that we think that they're complete. That's the, been the biggest challenge. And so we started off with map updates that were happening quarterly and we've continued to improve that process to make them faster and faster and faster so that these map updates are constantly happening in the background. The customers never even, they don't have to hit any buttons. They don't have to do anything. It's all happening automatically. And we keep the maps just as fresh as we possibly can. Is that by uh, over-the-air updates uh, in the vehicle or some other method of, of delivering that information? No, that's exactly right. It's called OTA or over-the-air update. We utilize the cellular network system. And this happens while the car is driving down the road. We'll download the map updates. We'll apply the map updates. And then the map updates become usable after they've been applied. As someone who's spent uh, a lot of miles uh, behind the wheel and having the, <laughs> the wheel kind of steer itself uh, with Super Cruise, how has this changed the way you think about driving? and, and uh, you know, how you behave on long trips, those kinds of things. Absolutely fantastic question because I'm a driver. I love driving vehicles. I've owned sports cars my whole life. I love driving vehicles. And so when I went to work on the Super Cruise team, I was like, well, I'm not sure how this is going to work. And then I got behind the wheel of the Super Cruise vehicle and I grew up taking road trips. I still love road trips. What I have found personally is that when I'm behind the wheel of a Super Cruise vehicle on a long road trip, I arrive at this destination more relaxed, more energized. You know, I'm not tired after seven, eight hours of driving. I'm very relaxed, very energized. It has become so important to me to actually take road trips via Super Cruise vehicles because you get to see the scenery. You get to see the road a little bit more. You get to look around, experience the road trip. So for me, it's totally changed the way I think about road trips. And I, I absolutely love taking road trips with Super Cruise car vehicles. As a matter of fact, I don't fly very much anymore. I love taking road trips. Yeah, well, your arms get really tired if you do that. So I, I could understand that. Exactly, yeah. Do you ever find that the vehicle drives in a different way than you would drive? I would say that it is a much safer driver than I am. So, so yeah, that, that's probably fair to say that it drives differently than me. It's safer. It's better. It stays in the lane more. So, yes. <laughs> so, an exciting announcement with a, a lot more roads available now to Super Cruise. What are some of the vehicles, as we sign off here, that uh, currently offer Super Cruise? So, in uh, the Cadillac lineup, uh, you can get Super Cruise on the, the original CT6, which was the car that it launched on. Then the, the CT4B, CT5B, the XT6, the Escalade. So, that's in the Cadillac lineup and the Lyric. Uh, it's coming out on the Lyric very soon. In the Chevy lineup, it's on the Bolt EUV, and uh, it'll soon be coming on the uh, the Silverado and the Suburban. We've announced that. In the GMC lineup, it's available today on the Hummer, and it'll soon be on the Sierra Denali and the Yukon Denali. So that's exciting. So we're going to be at 12 vehicles pretty soon by the end of this year. And the big announcement is we plan to be on over 22. We plan to be on 22 vehicles by the end of model year 23. Well, Dave Craig, uh, Super Cruise mapping specialist. Thanks so much for sharing a lot about Super Cruise. Really exciting stuff. And uh, I'm glad I had a chance to talk to you. I think I know a lot more about it now than I did about 15 minutes ago. So thank you. You're very welcome. I enjoyed this a lot. Thank you so much for having me today. And uh, stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. 
Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. This is Jackie Red with you. It is listener question time. It's also toward the end of the show, which is a shame, but uh, it happens every week. And uh, I love talking with Chris about cars. And I think we've got a really good listener question, Chris. And I think you probably have a really good answer to this question. This is from Phil in Petaluma, California. And Phil asks this, what do you think about buying a vehicle from one of the new EV companies? The Rivian truck looks good and the Lucid Air looks amazing. Are there any big downsides? Hmm. Downsides. There might be a f- yeah. I mean, there might be a few. I think I definitely agree with the fact that they look amazing. The Rivian truck has got great uh, has picked up great reviews, and the Lucid Air has one of the best EV ranges and some of the quickest acceleration you'll find of any type of vehicle. So, uh, kudos to them for that. I'll say this: uh, if you buy an EV from Ford, if you buy an F one fifty Lightning, you can go to the Ford dealership and get service. You can go to the Ford dealership and ask questions. You can go to the Ford dealership and yell at them. But if you buy a Rivian, you have to wait for someone to come to you for service or find one of their service uh, locations, which for me is, I think, maybe the closest will be Boston, so three hours away. Uh, so if you care about the personal touch, I think that's a big downside for you. Otherwise, you know, these companies are they are turning out great vehicles. Some of them are more well-funded than others, so I think, you know, their longevity has yet to be seen. Uh, but I can't comment on that. I think the vehicles are, are very solid as they sit. Yeah, I think uh, the vehicles look cool. Of course, we can't gauge longevity because they're new. I mean, that's what a startup is, right? And, you know, they might be tragically flawed or they might be wonderfully durable. We just don't know the answer to that. Uh, I think anybody who buys from a startup company is taking a risk, right? Because you don't know if that company is going to be around. You don't know what parts supply is going to be. I mean, these are electrics. Maybe they don't need the parts that a, uh, an internal combustion engine vehicle uh, needs. But if you don't have the right part, a driveline part or something, um, you're dead in the water uh, with a very expensive vehicle. And I think that's our show for the week, Chris. Uh, Always wonderful to talk with you about cars. As always, it has been a pleasure. I will thank everybody for listening. If you like what you heard, check out the sportsmapradio.com website. There you can find us on the Saturday morning schedule. You can download our podcast from Apple or any of the major platforms, as well as a formatted radio version of the show. Right, and thanks to the SportsMap Radio Networks for carrying America on the road. We do appreciate that. And thanks so much for listening to America on the road. We appreciate the fact that you're out there paying attention to us. We, we like that very much, and it allows us to do what we do, which we like a lot. So join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash autoinsurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance.